Hello and welcome to the Culture Turbocharger. I'm your host, Kevin Wachtel. I'm president and founder of the W Group Consulting and I work with organizations to help them understand and measure their work culture and to develop specific and detailed action plans to make their culture more constructive. This unleashes the power of employees and turbocharges results. Topic for today is body count. Language is very important. Words have meaning. This probably comes as no surprise to you. The unfortunate reality is that the use of language in the business world, I believe, sometimes creates a mentality that drives how people behave and act. I'm a firm believer in the context of beliefs drive behaviors and behaviors drive results. I want to use two examples that may exist in your work environments. The first has to do with the overall process of managing your organization, the headcount. Just the word headcount, while mathematically accurate, truly dehumanizes the people who make up the count. Discussions on changes to the count may also refer to bodies, almost like this is a military conflict. I was in a management discussion regarding targeted salary savings that were to be derived from a RIF, a reduction in force. The team was talking about how many bodies were needed to achieve the savings dollar target. One of the managers in the meeting objected to the language, stating that these were people, these were our friends in many cases, with families. They had obligations. They still had a job right now, a community commitments, and friends outside the workplace. The tone of the discussion changed in that group as we embraced that these were our people who we knew were going to be impacted and not just unnamed bodies. It triggered discussions on how dollars could be saved by delaying or canceling new positions, or other savings that had been not been identified. Through that change in belief, we were able to talk about real people and not bodies. The behavior of the discussion changed, and the action and result was a proposal that didn't impact as many of our coworkers. The second has to do with how we refer to clients internally within the workplace. We had a client several years ago that was a startup. It came to us through another company division relationship. The startup had a very seasoned management team at the helm and an excellent business plan. Based on their experience, they were very demanding of us and were essentially launching a whole new business model to support them. Their business was in a segment that was very attractive to us, but we had no real scale, so there were longer-term benefits to us. The other challenge is that their funding caused delays in payments to us for services, so there was an ongoing discussion about the aging of receivables and the frequency of payments. This whole dynamic created negative language internally when our people talked about the client. Deadbeats, too demanding for their size, their expectations are too high, they don't manage their own clients, the work isn't profitable. My observation was that people internally had built this completely negative opinion of this client. They believed they were a pain in the butt, and so our behaviors were not meeting obligations, to not be proactive and pleasant, to not prioritize their work properly, to be not easy to do business with. This resulted in our performance deteriorating and not meeting theirs or our expectations. I started a communications process internally that talked about the benefits of doing a great job for them, try to replace the language, that it's a new product, that we have revenue upside, that we're bringing well-known clients to us. I also explained that this was a strategic bet, and if it didn't work, it would be my fault, it wouldn't be their fault, that we were managing the cash flow and risk, and that we truly did see upsides in the future. I specifically pointed out the language issues and asked them to replace that negative language with good, positive commentary.
that they were growth oriented, a future star, potential top 10 client, teaching us a new market, helping us develop new products, and really reinforcing a high level attention to detail. It worked and it positively, we positively impacted the actions and the results became uh, really an outstanding partner for them. That business grew for several years at 500 to 800% a year and also resulted in one of the most profitable projects we'd ever run, in addition to helping us solve problems that the client had with their previous vendor. Beliefs drive behaviors and, well, you know the rest. If you want to get in contact with me, go through my website, www.thewgroupconsulting.com. Thanks. Hello and welcome to the Culture Turbo Charger. I'm your host, Kevin Wachtel. I'm president and founder of the W Group Consulting and I work with organizations to help them understand and measure their work culture and to develop specific and detailed action plans to make their culture more constructive. This unleashes the power of employees and turbocharges results. Today's topic is driving net promoter scores. So as part of my practice, I also do consulting work in the area of uh, client engagement and improving um, results and deliverables for clients. And one of the areas that we focused on uh, when I was managing a client services business was on the net promoter score. And the net promoter score is a customer loyalty metric developed and actually a registered trademark of Fred Reichold, Bain and Company and SAT metrics. It was in, introduced by Reichold in his 2003 Harvard Business Review article, One Number You Need to Grow. The number can result uh, in a strong indication of the loyalty of your customers and to your enterprise and in turn potentially grow or attrit revenue over time. It's derived by the answer to the question, how likely are you to recommend this product or service to a friend or colleague? It uses a scale of zero, not at all likely, to 10, extremely likely. I had the privilege of being in a training session with Mr. Reichheld not too long after the article and the book were published. The scores returned by clients put them into three classifications. The first are promoters, and these are loyal customers and a great source of referrals. And on that zero to 10 scale, they score you as a nine or a 10. The second category is passive customers. They're satisfied with your service, but they're susceptible to competitors. And on the scoring, they score you as an eight or a nine. The third uh, classification are detractors. And these are unhappy customers and they can damage your brand. And they score you on a zero to seven on your zero to 10 scale. So while you can look at one number result, zero to 10, you can get from a particular client Net Promoter School is really meant to give you an indication across multiple surveys for a particular client, for groups or segments of clients, or your entire portfolio. So the NPS is a calculation. So what you do is you take the percentage of clients that responded as detractors and you subtract that from the percentage of respondents who are promoters. So note you're ignoring the passive customers at this point. So NPS equals percent of promoters minus percent of detractors, and that result can range from minus 100 to plus 100. A net promoter score of minus 100, which means everyone is a detractor, means that you are in grave trouble. 
A net promoter score as high as a plus 100, which is everybody is a promoter, means that you have an absolutely extraordinarily delighted client base. A net promoter score that is positive, which means it's greater than zero, is felt to be good, and a net promoter score of plus 50 is excellent. You can find benchmarks uh, online as to how you might stack up at www.npsbenchmarks.com. And in the United States, the top net promoter scores are dominated by USAA and Apple. USAA in their insurance business is an eight, a plus 80. USAA in the banking side is a plus 78. Uh, some other examples, Costco, 78. Apple, 76. Uh, Nordstrom, 75. Apple for the iPhone, a 70. Amazon, 69. Southwest Airlines, 66. And what I found in our use of the process is that while it's a benefit to know the number result, it's all about connecting the measure to open-ended questions that we also asked that really provide the context to the feedback. My experience also did not have a strong correlation to whether we would retain or lose clients. It did provide a strong indication on how much time clients would consume in our support model. Uh, passive or detractor clients obviously demanded more time from our client team, um, more typically than our promoters. We learned that in some clients, their culture does not support giving great scores, even though our performance was excellent. This is because um, uh, the, of the dialogue we had with clients regarding their uh, uh, retention surveys. We also had clients that considered themselves hostage because of the pain and complexity of their implementation. While their scores fell into the passive range, there was really more negative emotion than the score indicated, and that needed to be addressed immediately and strongly. So based on this, we provided pre-survey pre training to explain to clients what was coming and what we're going to do with the results, what the scores meant to us relative to our ongoing report card measures, and how those scores were going to be used internally. This wasn't done to game the system, but to provide insight into what we could do with the results. This process ultimately resulted in more predictable results, a closer correlation to our day-to-day -day performance and the net promoter score. So some key takeaways from this discussion is first, use the answers to the open-ended NPS follow-up questions to guide action. Imagine immediately responding to a detractor's complaint, targeting your passives with an information campaign, or tweeting a promoter's testimonials uh, if you're allowed to do that. Next, imagine being able to show an action plan on identified issues to a detractor very quickly after follow-up is concluded, and then charting your performance improvements each month. In my experience, net promoter scores uh, in and of itself was not a great indicator or predictor of whether a client would leave or not. There are so many dynamics in the decision-making for a client to stay or go, many outside the control of a vendor, like change in management, acquisitions, and those types of things. We prefer to look at it to show trends over time. Are we improving the overall net promoter score? Are we reducing the number of detractors as a percentage, moving passives into promoters? It is critical to have an ongoing discipline and engagement plan with your clients. Report cards, quarterly business reviews, ongoing process improvement, good root cause analysis, no excuses, excellent discipline on follow-up and commitments, and an easy-to-do business with approach. These are the keys to managing and improving score results and revenue retention. 
We did this and we had our net promoter scores typically in the 81 to 82 percent range in a very dynamic business that did mass customization of outbound products. I can help you do the same. If you want to contact me, uh, go through my website, www.thewgroupconsulting.com.